Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on March 5th, 2017, on the basis of Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. They say that old habits die hard. And if there is any truth to that, then I've got to tell you this morning, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little bit concerned that one day very soon, you are going to wake up and start worshiping and believing in and praying to a whole host of, of false gods. Gods like Jupiter and Juno, the king and the queen of all gods, respectively. Gods like Mars, the god of war, or Venus, the goddess of love, or Minerva, the god of wisdom. I'm concerned that your worship and your faith in these gods is going to lead you into a life that is immoral and perverse in just about every way imaginable. And I'm concerned that anytime something happens in your life, anytime you you are faced with a problem that is beyond your control, rather than turning to God in prayer, rather than coming to God's house or turning to God's word, you're instead going to run to the nearest available temple of one of these gods. You're going to kill some poor barnyard animal, sacrifice it on an altar, say a quick prayer, and hope the problem goes away. Are you as concerned about those things as I am? I'm guessing as I describe a little bit about what religion in ancient Rome was like, you probably think that that sounds nothing like a religion that you have ever or would ever practice. But it was the very religion that the people to whom Paul wrote this letter grew up with, which meant that when they became Christians, it was kind of a big deal. In fact, they rejected so many gods as false, that even though they still believed in one God, even though they still believed in the one true God, the Roman people actually accused them of being atheists. It meant that God's love and God's favor were no longer things that they had to try and coerce out of God through sacrifice and prayer, but things that that God actually offered freely to them because he had made the ultimate sacrifice of his son. It meant that their lives changed completely in terms of how they treated other people, in terms of the management of their material possessions, in terms of how they viewed things like wealth and power and fame, in terms of how they viewed God's plan for marriage and sexual purity, all of it changed. But one thing really didn't. This new faith that they had didn't immediately lead to a new life. They weren't immediately more successful, more prosperous, necessarily even more happy because of this new faith that they had. In fact, a lot of the problems that they used to run to the temples of the false gods for, those, those same problems were still there. And so as a result, as Paul writes this letter to these Romans, that's a, a problem and that's a theme that he keeps coming back to over and over and over again. How were these Christians supposed to deal with the fact that this new faith that they had in this new God didn't immediately lead to a new and better life? How could Paul keep those old habits that they had from rearing their ugly heads? How could he keep them from trying to solve the same old problems in the same old ways? That's the question we're going to consider this morning because I think the same challenge 
confronts us. When our faith in God doesn't immediately lead to the, the life that we have planned out for ourselves, at least, those same old, same ugly habits can sometimes come rearing their ugly heads in our lives, too. So, so how do we keep that from happening? How do we keep ourselves from trying to solve those same old problems in, in those same old ways? In other words, as we look at these verses from Romans, this is the question that we, we want to consider. Is your faith, is your religion primitive or is it progressive? Now you hear that word primitive, and I'm guessing that you think no matter what religion a person might have today, 21st century world that we live in, it's certainly not primitive like the religion in ancient Rome that I described. And yet really those trappings of religion in ancient Rome are really just symptoms of some ideas about God that are very much natural to all of us, that go all the way back to the beginning of time and really are a common thread that run through every religion of the world. All religions of the world kind of revolve around two basic assumptions about God. The first one is that God's big plan, God's big idea, God's big goal is to give us a good life here on this earth. And the second is that in order to get that good life from God, it is somehow connected to and contingent on our performance according to whatever expectations God sets for us. All religions in the world kind of start with those two basic assumptions. In fact, back in ancient Rome, they actually, actually had articulated this. There was a Latin phrase, do ut des. It meant, I give so that you give. Their religion, their whole approach to God really started and ended with that fundamental concept. Well, in these verses, the very first thing Paul wants to convince us of is that that's no longer going to work in our world. And here's why. He said, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did. You see, there was a time when those two natural assumptions about God were actually true. That God's big design, big plan for us was a wonderful life here on this earth, and that that wonderful life was connected to our performance underneath God's expectations. That was true in the Garden of Eden. But the second Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. Adam and Eve brought all of us, the entire human race, under the control of sin and under the curse of death. And so as a result, even if getting good things from God was in some way connected to our, our obedience to him, you and I would be hopelessly lost because there is no way we can possibly give God the obedience that he requires. What Paul is saying in these verses means that from the very moment we come into this world, we already have three strikes against us. Unlike Adam and Eve, we have no ability to render unto God the perfect obedience that he requires. But secondly, it also means that, that even if we could, we would still not be able to expect a good life here on earth because this world is underneath the curse of death. In these verses, Paul almost pictures death like a, like a king that is sitting on a throne controlling the world, a cruel, merciless tyrant whose power we are unable to break on our own. So let's say that you're the model 
citizen. Let's say you treat everyone with kindness and respect and you give generously to charity and you've never cheated on your spouse and you're the perfect father to your children. As happened a couple of weeks ago, you can still be driving on your way to a Badger game and all of a sudden, out of the middle of the air, a car lands on top of yours, kills you and your wife, and leaves your two one-year-old twin boys as orphans. Welcome to life in Adam's world. So you and I might not be tempted to run over to the temple of Juno and sacrifice a white heifer on her altar the way they would have in ancient Rome, but it is very easy for those old habits, those natural assumptions about God to come rearing their ugly heads in our lives. We might think, sure, it is, it is great. It is wonderful news, fantastic news, that when it comes to our forgiveness and when it comes to our eternity, all of that is God. All of that is Jesus, and we will put our faith in him entirely. But, but surely if God loves us, he wants us to have a good life here also too, right? And surely if we do what God wants us to do, then God will bless us with that life. Paul says no on both accounts. First of all, you cannot render unto God the obedience that he requires. And secondly, even if you could, an existence underneath the curse of death would still be your lot. Can we stop there for a second? That, that is one of the most offensive ideas in all of the Bible, what Paul is talking about in these verses. One of the ideas in the Bible that most offends our natural instincts about God, this idea that the single most important event that determines what my life on earth is going to be like is not anything that I did, not anything that even happened during my life, but something that some guy did thousands and thousands of years ago in a garden over in Iraq. There are a few ideas in the Bible that are more offensive to our natural instincts than that. And I'm not even going to tell you this morning that you shouldn't be offended by that idea. What I am going to ask you to consider is this. That if we're willing to consider for a moment that because of our fallen state, maybe all of our natural instincts about God are completely backwards and completely upside down, then maybe the single idea in the Bible that offends us the very most is actually an idea that's really, really good. Is actually one of the best and most beautiful ideas in all of Scripture. Because God didn't just arrange for things to work this way one time, is what Paul tells us. He didn't just set things up so that one man's performance would have an impact on the entire human race until the world comes to an end. After Adam and Eve sinned, after Adam and Eve blew that for everybody, God decided to do it a second time. Paul says that Adam is a pattern of the one to come, talking about Jesus. That after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God arranged things this way a second time, that one man's performance would count for everybody else. And that's exactly what God did when he sent our Savior Jesus. And the really good news is that in sending his son Jesus, God didn't simply take us back to what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. God actually allowed the human race to take one big step forward. God didn't simply turn back the clock so that we could have an existence that was as good as Adam and Eve's. He actually gives us a life that is much, much better. And Paul describes that in, in three ways. Three ways that you and I have it better than Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. 
First, Paul says that if, if God simply turned back the clock and took us back to the Garden of Eden, then our life here on earth would still be based on our performance. Adam and Eve were given a good life by God, but as soon as they sinned, that life was ruined. If God simply turned back the clock, then you and I would still need to obey God's law perfectly. God doesn't treat us that way. God doesn't treat us the way that maybe some of you parents have treated a child as he or she is learning how to walk. Right? You set the child up on one side of the room and over on the other side of the room there's some sort of toy, some sort of prize right? that he or she is supposed to walk toward. And of course, the first couple of times, a few wobbly steps and, and down they go. So what do you do? You, you pick them back up and you set them right back at the beginning. right? And over and over again until they get it right. God doesn't do that. He does much better than that. He simply takes that prize and he just hands it to us. Not a reward to be earned, but a completely free gift. Secondly, if God simply turned back the clock to what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, then just one single misstep would undo it all. Even if there were seven billion people in our world today who had somehow managed to live their lives perfectly, still we would be in danger with one single misstep of ruining it all for ourselves. We talk about walking around on on eggshells, wondering, worrying whether the next step was the wrong one and suddenly everything would be ruined again. Paul says that, that death came into the world after just one sin from Adam. And yet Jesus came into the world after many sins from human beings. Billions of people sinning trillions of times and still God is able to say that Jesus' work covers it all. Which means that you and I can know with absolute certainty that no matter how many sins we commit, Adam could only commit one and everything was ruined. No matter how many sins we commit, we can be confident that Jesus' work has paid for it all. Finally, if God simply turned back the clock to what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden and the world was once again a perfect place, then yes, death would be taken off of its throne and we would have the paradise that they enjoyed. What could be better than that, right? God has given us better than that. By sending his son Jesus, not only was death taken off of its throne, but do you know who sat down in its place? Do you know who now sits on the throne? It's not life. It's not even just Jesus by himself. Paul says that there is also a throne for each and every one of you and me. Because Jesus had to come to this earth as one of us, now the one who has unseated death on its throne is one of us. The king of the universe, the one who holds the stars in their courses, the one who causes the rise and the fall of nations, the one who not only knew who the 45th president would be, but knows who the 67th president is going to be if there even is one, the one who determines every day the exact level of the Dow Jones, the one who decides whether today's high is 60.3 degrees or 58.9, the one who determines whether your life is going to be 53 years, 200 days, 24 hours and 36 seconds or 37 seconds. The one who does all of that is your brother. Not only has death been unseated, but you and I are now part of the ruling class. 
why in the world would we want to go back to that primitive religion of the Garden of Eden when God has done us one better? God has allowed us to take a step forward. God has given us something so much better than what Adam and Eve had. You know, as I was studying these verses this week, I had a thought that was kind of strange. In fact, it was so strange that at first I wondered if I was allowed to think it. The thought was this. Boy, it sure is a good thing that Adam and Eve ate the fruit off of that tree. Are you kidding me? A good thing that Adam and Eve sinned? I mean, so many people look at the world around us and they find reasons to be angry with God, maybe even reasons to stop believing in God because of the way life is on this earth. All over the world, people are being ravaged by cancer. All over the world, families are torn apart and children are abused and people cheat and steal and kill one another. And so maybe it seems like it's enough to not be angry with God or to not use that as a reason to stop believing in him, but to actually say it's a good thing that Adam and Eve sinned. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds like nonsense and lunacy. But if it means that we are starting to move past this, this primitive religion where we think that God's big plan for us is nothing more than a good, easy life on earth, if it means that we're starting to move past this idea that, that what God has in store for us needs to be earned through our obedience, if we're starting to embrace and rejoice in this wonderful idea that God doesn't simply take the clock back to the Garden of Eden, but actually gives us something much better in our Savior, Jesus Christ, then I don't think I'd call it nonsense. I don't think I'd call it crazy or lunacy. I'd maybe even call it progress. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.